On the Belkin family farm, there is one man who is in charge, the top dog, the one who is in control, the end-all be-all of our entire farm, and it is my dad. Now, in a certain way, this makes sense because he's the one to whom all the land, all the tractors, all the different equipment belongs, and so certainly it would make sense that he'd be in charge, but there's more to the picture than just that. Because, in fact, he's in charge because he is the one with a lot of knowledge and a lot of wisdom with how the farm is supposed to work. That if there's something that goes wrong with our equipment or the tractors or even with the cattle or sometimes even just getting things done, the dad is always the one who has the answers or he has a way to fix all of those problems. And so, naturally, he's the one with authority. He's the one with control. He is the end-all, be-all of the Belkin farm. But we think about that and we can say that he's the one in authority. And authority is something that's very interesting because over the last 50 years, it's something that has shifted, at least in our perception of it. That at one time it was something to be respected and revered, but over time it has shifted to being something that is often rejected or something set to the side, unless we're the one that has that authority ourselves. But what exactly does it mean whenever we're looking, we're seeing that Jesus is the one who teaches with authority, the one who drives out demons with authority? What does that mean whenever we are interfacing with our Lord and our God in this day and age? How does it challenge us to live a life of deeper faith? We start off this morning with our first reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy we know as a law book, that it is telling us exactly what the Lord wants from his people in the, the nation of Israel. And so it's telling us all of the rules, all of the laws, all of the regulations, all of the different things that are being told to them by the Lord their God. And today we see this interaction between the Lord and between Moses as he tells him and tells the people as a result that there will be prophets that are going to continue to come up from amongst the people. That they are going to come up in Moses' stead, in his wake, and they're going to continue to tell the Lord what exactly he wants. And this came from, organically from the people because the people were very terrified whenever they encountered the voice of the Lord. Because they remember very well whenever the Lord was speaking to them at Mount Horeb, how the entire earth was shaking and how there were all sorts of signs and wonders because of the Lord's majesty and because of his might. And so they were utterly terrified. But the Lord understands, and he knows that they want someone relatable, or someone that they can listen to very easily, and so he's going to send them prophets and people to listen to, so that they don't listen to the Lord's voice directly as much as it terrifies them. But he very quickly warns them that these prophets are speaking on behalf of the Lord, and therefore they are to be listened to, because there is this very real danger that if he is one amongst them, that they'll just simply disregard his word. But he reminds them, prophets speak exactly what I'm telling them to, that even, and they need to take solace and they need to be reassured that if a prophet ever spoke something that wasn't supposed to be spoken, that that prophet would surely die. But nonetheless, it's a simple invitation that they need to hear the voice of the Lord. And it speaks very well into our responsorial psalm for this Mass. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. If you hear the voice of the Lord, if you hear what he's saying to you, don't let the word go without changing what you're doing. We move on to St. Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians, and we know that over the past couple of weeks, he's been challenging the church in Corinth to remember that faith makes them different. It sets them apart, that as much as they might like to live in the world, they are not to be of the world, but they are rather renewed in Christ. 
And we see that coming to term today, especially as he's speaking about anxiety. Now, he tells them to have no anxieties at all, that they should not be consumed with worry, with fearfulness, with worry or hopelessness for the future, but rather they should be simply worried and busy about the work of the Lord. And he tells this to them in a beautiful way that he starts to juxtapose these two different ways of life, the unmarried person versus the married person. And so he tells that the unmarried person is often concerned with the different things of the Lord, that they are often anxious about doing his will. But then he starts to go into the way of the married person. He starts to warn that they can often be consumed by just simply worrying about the world and worrying about the desires of their spouse. And certainly there's an element of this that is true, that they do need to continue to be aware of the work that is theirs due to their way of life. But notice this anxiety. He's telling them not to be divided, not to be duplicitous, but to rather find a way to balance everything, to balance their spouse, to balance the Lord, to balance everything in between so that the Lord is not put out of the picture, but instead is a part of it and a very fundamental part so that they need not have anxiety, but they should rather rely fully on the Lord. Then finally, we move on to the gospel according to Mark, and we hear about Jesus approaching Capernaum and entering the synagogue at this place. And so he goes in and he starts to teach and speak, and he actually captivates the people because he speaks not as just one of the scribes, but as one having authority. Now, this isn't this authority of control, but this is authority of conviction, of passion, that he knows exactly what he's talking about, and they haven't found that for some time, that the scribes have simply rattled off the rules, the regulations, the scriptures, and simply moved on with their life. But Jesus speaks as one who knows the scriptures very well. And that's powerful to them because, in fact, we know that Jesus is the one who is involved with writing the scriptures as being part of the Trinity. But nonetheless, they don't quite know that just yet. But they see that there's something different about him, that he's speaking as one that truly believes the word of God and every part of it. And then it moves on because it's not just enough to say that Jesus believes in the word and that he has authority. But then it starts to become clear that he has authority, he has control, and he has ability to do as he desires. And so there's this man that is possessed in the synagogue. And he, that, that man that is possessed, the demon cries up from within him and tells him and asks if it's Jesus, the Son of God, if he is there to destroy him and to remove him from his midst. And in some way, Jesus is, because he simply says these words, and he utters them very simply, quiet, come out of him, and immediately the demon leaves. Notice that authority is so powerful that it's not just for humanity. It's not just for those around him, but it's even the demons, the spiritual realities, those very entities that the Pharisees, the chief priests, and the elders couldn't do anything about, that Jesus had authority even over those things. So the people are shocked. They're taken aback because all of a sudden there's this one that's in their midst that is able to do things far beyond conception of what has ever been done before. And so, in fact, they recognize, and again, they reaffirm, who is this who has authority that even the demons are subject to him? And they begin to wonder. But here's the question for us to consider today. We hear that word authority, but who is in charge of our life? If we're honest at the end of the day, who is trying to control the way that we live? Because so often in this day and age, it is so easy to get ourselves convinced that the most reliable person is number one. The best instruments that we have are our own two hands, and therefore we don't need to rely on anyone else. We kind of let the Lord off to the side. 
But what exactly are we being encouraged to do in this reading and in this gospel? Well, first, in the first reading, we need to realize that there is a simple invitation here, that as much as he's speaking about the prophets in their day and age, he's speaking about the word that is amongst us today. The ways that the Lord continues to speak to us through sacred scripture, through the clergy, and through all of those around us, that the Lord is still speaking to us. But the question is, are we listening to the voice of the Lord? Are we making an attempt? Are we even bothering ourselves to kind of set aside time for the Lord our God? Because the reality is that all of us are very consumed with the busyness of daily life. Many of us have so many different things to do, and we feel like we can't get it all done. And what's worse, oftentimes we have a lot of noise. We've got a lot of technology. We've got the television going on in the background. We don't have time to set apart silence for the Lord. But the reality is we need that now more than ever before. As many things as we might have to get done, we need it more imperatively that we set apart time to hear the voice of the Lord. And that requires some level of silence. That requires setting aside our technology every once in a while so that we indeed can hear the voice of God and hear it even more clearly. Because the Lord was reminding the Israelites at that time, he's sending prophets into their midst so that they can hear his voice. And even today, we have the same thing. It's not just about scripture, but it's through the clergy, it's through religious, it's through the homilies that we hear, it's through the media that we consume that is continuing to help us and to try to aid us in building up our life of faith. And so we should take time because we need to hear the voice of God now more than ever before. But are we taking that time? Are we making an effort to hear the voice of the Lord? And then the second thing that we should consider, when we hear that voice of the Lord, when we set apart time, what is he saying? Because sometimes we get this idea that if we listen to the voice of the Lord, if we're vulnerable for just a second, he's going to tell us all sorts of things that we don't want to hear. He's all of a sudden going to turn our life upside down, make us totally uncomfortable, and we're not going to be able to live by that way of life. But that's not the only thing the voice of the Lord is saying. Notice in the gospel, what does the voice of the Lord do? He teaches as one having authority. He does give conviction. He has passion. He has purpose when he speaks. That is true. But notice what else he does. There's this man that has been captive of this demon for some time. He's been possessed by this evil spirit and been unable to get any help from anybody else. Christ walks in. What does he do? He sets him free. The reality is sometimes the Lord's authority isn't just for the things that we need to be convicted or we need our heart changed or converted for. Sometimes he's there for those words of encouragement too. Sometimes he's there to build us back up when nobody else will. That in those moments of sadness or in the moments of grief or despair, he's going to give us consolation and peace that no one else and nothing else can provide. But we have to be willing to submit to the Lord's authority. Because the reality is that oftentimes in our life of faith, we relinquish the Lord to two different aspects of our life, two different ends of the spectrum. That first, we're going to give God dominion and control over those inconsequential things, over those things that don't really matter if the Lord answers or not. Just those small little things that it'd be nice if he was here today, if he gave me a nice workload, or if he just listened to my prayer, if he made the kids listen every once in a while. Those things that might not seem like they're all that significant, and that if they're not answered, it's not a big deal. So sometimes we let him, that we have so little trust and so little faith that that is what we let the Lord have. 
Or sometimes, then we go to the other side, the other extreme, that we let the Lord have things that we know that we can't control, those things that we tried for so long to fix ourselves, and in fact, we come up empty each and every time, that we exert all sorts of effort, all sorts of work, and at the end of the day, it doesn't work, or it's too far beyond our control. And so we'll let the Lord have dominion over those places. We'll let his authority and control reign there. But what about all that space in between? Because we can't treat God like a vending machine. We can't treat him as somebody that we just go to when we need something. But he's here for every waking moment of our life. He's here to reinvent our entire life so that it is so much better than we could have ever conceived ourselves. But that requires that we relinquish control. That requires that we let the Lord have authority and dominion and truly be Lord of our entire life. But notice the end result. Was that man any more captive because he recognized the authority of the Lord? No. In fact, he was set free. He was set free from that thing that had held him captive for so many years. And so he was, in fact, much more free by listening to the voice of the Lord in a new way that he had never heard before. And that's powerful and that's important because our Lord is not a Lord of convenience. He's not just there for when we get to it. He's a Lord of conviction. He's a Lord that wants our every moment. He wants our belief. He wants our faith. He wants our trust that anything we ask him in prayer, he will do. And that, in fact, is where the rest of the spectrum lies. Because oftentimes in life, we think that we have everything under control. We have everything in check, that we're able to do everything with our own two hands. But oftentimes, we really shortchange ourselves. Oftentimes, we really limit ourselves. That oftentimes, in the grief, the suffering, the despair, the evils that happen in this life, we can't find answers because we're not letting the Lord have those situations, have control and authority over those places of hurt, of grief, of affliction, of suffering, of the different things that we just can't find answers to. And that, in fact, is where our work begins. Because, too, we have to recognize he's not just there for those moments when we need something, when it spirals out of control, or maybe if he gets to it or if it's just something insignificant, that he can have that little thing. He wants everything. He wants every part of our life. He wants to renew our entire soul, our entire being, our every waking moment, that he wants to be there to give us a new life so that we might not just make it through this life, that we might not just survive what's going on around us, but that we will truly thrive as a people of consolation, a people that have experienced his peace. And sometimes that does require hard work. Sometimes that requires us to let go of the grudges of old times. Sometimes that, lets a, that allows us that moment where we have to continue to struggle and to strive to see the ways where he's wanting that grief or that suffering or all of those ways that we are afflicted. That he wants all of those moments so that he can take care of them even in ways that we can't. Or even think about those weaknesses, those areas of vice, those areas where we continually bring them to the Lord and we find ourselves falling short each and every time. Those different vices or those sins that we struggle with and we bring to confession repeatedly. The ways that we gossip, the ways that we don't tell the truth, the ways that we find ourselves struggling with impurity, the ways that we just don't find ourselves growing in a life of prayer. Those places are the places where only the Lord can gain true victory. That if we rely on ourselves, if we rely on our own control and our own sense of security, that we will never experience victory in the way that our Lord can give us. Or even in the sorrows and the struggles of life. That unless we truly let the Lord have authority, have dominion, and truly be Lord of those places, then we will never experience healing to the fullest degree that he wants us to. 
And that, in fact, is what we're challenged to do. Because as much as I look back on the farm and how much my dad was in charge, it's not just because, and it's not because he was a tyrannical ruler. It's not just because he owned everything around. It's because he was the one of knowledge and of wisdom, and he was the one that made the farm run smoothly. And indeed, our Lord is the same way, that he's not Lord just because he said so. He's not Lord to make our life miserable. He's here to give us that ultimate fulfillment that nothing and no one else can. He's here to lead us to that place of peace and security that our life ultimately will lead us to if we but submit to his control. That he's here to lead us past all the frustrations, all the difficulties of life, and truly give us life and life in freedom. Because the reality is that man, he left that day, but he recognized the authority of God in a new way. And that's what we should do, that we don't see that we have to surrender to a God that is going to make our life miserable, but he's going to give us a life of true freedom if we but submit to, our, if we but submit to him and if we truly give him authority and dominion over every part of our life. The Lord is the one who should be in charge and in control. My brothers and sisters, today and every day of our life, no matter where we are, let's not try to struggle and to strive to make ourselves in control, but rather let's give authority and dominion over to the one who can truly give us everything our hearts desires. May we only let one person be in control of every aspect of our life, and may that be our Lord, Jesus Christ.